Just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence with John Ball from presentinfluence.com. Each week, we talk about presentation skills and public speaking and the tools of influence and persuasion with experts and incredible guests. Stay tuned and enjoy the show. Speaking of Influence is uploaded and distributed to all major podcast networks through Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is the simplest way to get your podcast started with tons of great resources for new podcasters. You could start your podcast today. Follow the link in the show notes. I'm really, really happy today to have me a guest who I've wanted to bring on the show for quite a long time. And I wanted to wait until things were a bit more running with the show before I did. And one of the main reasons for this is because this is the person who I would say inspired me the most to want to become a speaker and to do some presenting as a trainer and get up on a stage. And I don't think it would have happened without without her inspiration. I'm very happy to introduce this person to you because she's an amazing businesswoman. She's an amazing speaker and still a, a massive inspiration to, to me and to many people I know. And to particularly now to women all over the world with what she's doing in her work now. So please welcome to the show, Joanna Martin. Thank you so much, John. I'm so looking forward to today. I'm really glad to have you here. And, you know, we've had a, a bit of a chat before we did our, our recording about things well, but we've, we've known each other for, for quite some time. I think 2007 was probably the, the year I first met you. So it's been a while. Don't, it makes me feel way too old. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been really, it's been really lovely as someone who has learned so much from you to, to see even your development since that time as well. And I know that like presenting and speaking and running business was not your first port of call as a career and started off on a very different path altogether. Yes, absolutely. I started my working life actually as a medical doctor. Um, I think when a little eight-year-old girl announces to her two pharmacist parents that she wants to be a doctor when she's grown up, it is met with a lot of encouragement and a lot of positive positive reinforcement. Um, Not that they ever pushed me into it, but I certainly ended up there and a lot of that was unconscious um, uh, and whilst I was a very good doctor and everyone loved me, I was great with patients and so forth. It didn't really feel like my kind of calling, you know, it didn't feel like my difference to be making in the world. So, um, alongside that at school and into university is I'd always done a lot of acting. Uh, and I had that little, what if question, you know, what if, what if, I wonder if I could ever make a career with that? What if I was an actor? What if I was a director? And so after my intern year of medicine, I auditioned for drama school and I got into a great drama school. It, um, it's the same drama school that, uh, that Hugh Jackman kicked off at and Nicole Kidman. There's been some very good people there. And it was an amazing, amazing time because finally I was doing something that felt much more aligned with who I was. Um, but <laughs> oddly enough, whilst I was there was when I had my first introduction to the arena that I now work in, and that is in coaching and training. And as soon as I saw um, I saw a speaker up on stage, you know, weaving stories and telling tales and teaching tools that people could use to change their life, um, for me that was it. It was the the great marriage of the helping and the performing aspects of myself, I guess. I think maybe if I'd been born in a different culture, I would have made a great shaman, you know? Quite <laughs> <laughs> possibly. But, you know, you, you were certainly one of those people for me and someone who's like, it was 
the first training where I was learning neurolinguistic programming from you, which I think maybe, maybe I don't know, perhaps it's been a long time since you've taught that now. <laughs> well, I, th- I think like every great toolkit that you learn as a coach or a speaker, you learn it consciously, you practice with it consciously, and then ultimately it moves into your unconscious and becomes a part of, you know, the great toolkit. You know, I don't think any of us are, um, that have been doing it for a, a great number of years or even decades now, um, you know, have one one thing that is the the key and critical piece. But yeah, absolutely. When I first started learning about life coaching, the toolkit that I first learned was was NLP. And um and I still say to anybody who is serious about becoming a, a fabulous uh trainer that it is a great toolkit to have. I don't the, these days uh like if you if you'd asked me back then I would have said it was the one, it was the only I mean I didn't have anything to compare it to, right? Uh, but since then I've done a lot more further development, a lot more research, a lot more of my own evolution and, and crafted things for myself because I couldn't find anything. Um uh and it's certainly one of many things that I use still. Yeah, I mean you you made the transition from that from Essentially, that was like a time when you were working for another organization to working for yourself and actually doing that as um, as someone who is training and teaching the tools of presentation skills. Mm. What, what was it that inspired that decision for you? I was harangued by clients. <laughs> um, basically, I uh, basically, um, yeah, so I, I, I first launched my very own coaching business as a little solopreneur back, back, back in the early days. And that grew up to about, you know, I was doing about 60K a year with that. I did it for about 18 months before then. Um, my trainer, who had trained me and everything, approached me to become his uh, head of research and training for his organization and to help him grow. So I took that contract and it was fabulous. You know, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, The opportunity to uh, be on somebody else's platform was probably the fastest growing uh, company on the international stage at that time. You know, we were traveling to loads of different countries, which was fabulous. Um, So many, uh, so many awesome opportunities. And I guess to, to be able to hone my skills with a fast growing company, and it's something I highly recommend to new speakers now, if that opportunity does uh, does come their way. Um, but it was, I, I nearly burned out. I, I nearly burned out is what happened. You know, I remember my 30th birthday was probably the first day when I was Skyping back to my family and my uh, boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, Greg. And um, I was, I was exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted. So while on the outside, it was a very glamorous lifestyle, you know, here I was nearly burned out by 30. It clearly wasn't working for my body and system. So um, not long after that, I, uh, I resigned from that organization and ended that contract and took, it was my husband actually gave me some really good advice. He said, you know, you shouldn't make a decision for four months. He said, every single company in this space is going to have been watching what you did uh, over the last three years for the organization that I was working with. Um, and uh, they're going to want to, they're going to want you to have, have you as part of their team. So if it's a great opportunity, it'll still be there in four months' time. Don't make any decisions for four months. And sure enough, within like a month of the word getting out, I was people were offering to give me half of their business to come and do what I did. Like it was, it was, it was huge time, and it was so hard not to make uh, any choices. But I needed to rest. The best advice I've ever had was that advice from Greg. Four months turned into nine months, but during that window of time, the other thing that was a constant was all of the people who'd been in audiences with me at that time, you know, that's where, where we first met John, um, were reaching out to me and saying, Joe, could you please teach me the business of speaking? Uh, you know, um, they'd, they'd seen, I guess, the impact that I'd had in Chris's organization. Um, they'd, uh, heard my expertise and my business wisdom, I guess, and, and what I'd learned on the inside of a big organization like that. And they wanted to know, you know, can you teach the business of speaking, how to sell from the platform, how to how to run a speaking business? Um, and I think eventually, you know, a couple of friends who were also uh, um, have always been kind of like mentors to me and Greg as well, eventually they just kind of, you know, twisted our arm and we thought, oh, far out, all right, we'll do it. 
Um, so I've got to say that first step into our own business with me and Greg was not necessarily one of, oh, I've got this brilliant thing that I want to do in the world. Don't get me wrong. It was always aligned with my purpose. Helping people that wanted to make the world better was very much what my purpose was about. It was just kind of one aspect of that. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just demand. It's what people wanted. Um, and, and what they wanted from me at that time. So it's what we did. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't at all unhappy when you came back on the scene with your <laughs> with your speaker presentation training because I, I came come to one of your events and ha- had the best time, learned so much. And and one thing I'll say with, with you particularly as a speaker, I still remember some of your stories from that event, from some of the trainings that I've done with you, and, and consider consider myself very lucky to have had that time when I first my first ever speaker trainer. You were there as one of the lead trainers and. It was uh, an incredible experience. I can still remember uh, good words of advice that you gave me. On my first day, I had just flown in from Los Angeles on a night flight and had come straight to the training from work, like jet lag, no, not much sleep. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe I should go. Maybe I should join this another time. He said, no, you're absolutely perfect. Just <laughs> go and do it and let your unconscious take over. It's probably better than everyone who's well rested. And I, I think you were probably right. Yeah, yeah, I think we lose our conscious resistance when we get exhausted. And indeed, to this day, I still design trainings that wear people out uh, uh, at the conscious level, you know, early on so that we do open up unconsciously, not in quite the same way as, you know, a Robbins would, like sleep when you're dead. That's not my philosophy. I train women these days and we need our sleep and we need rest. But I think there is something to be said for for well-crafted trainings that allow our conscious mind to get out of the way so that we can just really soak in the learnings and uh, get it deeply embedded as quickly as possible. Right. So, so let's let's talk a little bit about what you've moved into now then as the, the next step in your business evolution, which is now to working with women, particularly around like leadership and things That's like right. that. Very much needed. But again, what prompted that for you? Well, I was um I was getting more and more messages from my own unconscious, if you like, or my soul. I don't know how you want to say that, but it started because Greg and I had been trying to conceive. We'd been trying to have our first son, James, um, for uh, a number of years. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't happening. And I was just getting all of these hunches and clues and, you know, in my writing and in, in my physio, very much in my physiology as well, that I needed to take a break from the speaker training. Uh, a break from business, a break from speaker training. I wasn't really sure what it was. So so we did kind of one final um, round of uh, trainings to that end. And then within, and I'm not even kidding, within a week, was it two weeks? Maybe two weeks of completing our final speaker training event, Greg and I had moved back to the UK signed a lease on a place, completed that training. Within two weeks, we were pregnant with James. It was just so clear that my system wanted a break, you know. So that was the first piece. Um, however, I'm always so grateful for what that uh, that business provided for us and for so many people got so much from what we shared and taught during that period. And it was then whilst I was, it was, must be, you know, a good 10 months later, um, I was breastfeeding James and I just had this big this little insight, you know, those moments when you just see through to the truth of it, whatever it is. And it just became really, I, I was reflecting on that, uh, the quote, which gets bandied around a lot in personal development spheres for women, especially um, from the Dalai Lama saying that the world will be saved by the Western woman. Mm which is quite controversial really because, quite frankly, I don't think it is just Western women. I think what he was trying to get at at the Vancouver Peace Summit in 2009, because, um, you know, here's for me to tell the Dalai Lama what he was actually trying to get at. <laughs> um, but I, I think I think a more valid point that that, uh, that is bearing itself to be true is that is that the world will be changed and shaped by women who have access to resources. And the reason that I think that is critical is that we women, and not exclusively women, right, it's not exclusively women, but, but what we women do when we are in positions of leadership 
is we bring with us generations upon generations of compassion and caring, which has been bred into us, you know, up until 50 to 100 years ago, we weren't allowed to be anything other than caring, nurturing and compassionate. Do you know that was our one power center that we were allowed? Uh, We weren't allowed any of the other spaces because of the way that um, the system was set up, very masculine paradigm that we live in. And in leadership right now, there is so much research which is showing that the sorts of qualities that are required in leadership today are systematically being demonstrated more by women leaders than by male leaders, you know. So um, I got this at this time when I was I was there with James in this dark room breastfeeding. It be, all of a sudden I realized that he wasn't talking about just prime ministers and presidents and global corporation CEOs. He's talking about me, and he's talking about my sister and my neighbor and my mom and my gran. You know, he's talking about women with access to resources and all those of us with privilege, those of us with more privilege than others. It's our role, I think, and responsibility to actually harness our own energy and and juggle and balance our own lives and make that impact. And, and the reason, as I looked around at all of these people, I thought, oh, this, is, this is who needs to step up here. It's not waiting for someone else out there you know, for some leader on high to come and make the world better. It's it's us. We've got to do it. But as I looked around at, you know, my sister and my gran and my aunt and my neighbour and everybody else, everyone was just tearing around like headless chickens trying to make ends meet, trying to juggle the childcare with who's buying the Christmas presents and trying to be a good person and maybe doing a bit of fundraising for some charity on the side. It was just like bedlam in most women's lives. And I thought to myself, that that's it. That's that's what I can do. Do you know? If I've gotten really good at anything over the years, it's what I call fierce prioritization, fiercely aligned to my purpose, to my values, giving energy to those things which feel like they're my soul's contribution to make on the planet and nothing else. And and an ability to say no. I'm very good at saying no. Um, I wasn't always, I haven't always been, but I'm very, very good at saying no. And to those things which don't feel great and aligned. And I thought, God, if I can, if I can, if I can create a space where women can come in and, and, and get that, do you know, to be able to handle the juggle of their day-to-day life, to be able to step up and have a greater impact, whether it's leading their family, their community, their organization, or their country, and increase their impact without burning out, that, that's what I want to do. And so that's how One of Many was born. Great. And the name is very appropriate then based on exactly how you've explained how it came about and how you understand it. So that makes oh, That's exactly it. You know, I truly believe, I'm, there's, there's nothing special about me, you know, really. Um, I remember trying to explain this to a, a very American masculine paradigm mentor at one point, and she couldn't even conceive that I, it wasn't, that I wasn't the guru. I'm like, no, 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 really, I'm not the guru. I, these things that I, these things that, 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 that I can teach and that we do, I haven't nailed it. None of us nails it. And to the extent that we're out there touting the fact that everybody's got this nailed and if you haven't, there's something wrong with you and, you know, that's that's the whole point. That's what we need to move away from. Um, a more recent mentor of mine wrote a fabulous manifesto recently called We the Unfinished. And I love that. Do you know, I think for all of us, all of us is imperfect. All of us is unfinished. All of us wish we were better than we were or wish we could do more than we are. But we're the ones who have to make that contribution. We're the ones who have to just keep growing as fast as we can. And I am just one of many women who are going to contribute in the world. I'm one of many women who has organizations like this. You know, there are, there are multiple. But, but we, what we've created, I think, beautifully, and this is where you know you're truly aligned with purpose because it's well beyond what I ever could have conceived of in my little brain. But what has come to pass with one of many is an extraordinary community. We've had, I don't know, about 60 or 70,000 women come through our, come through our great gate. Some stay, some, some head off. Um, and in that space now, we have a beautiful ecosystem of women who are consistently standing next to each other, being a fierce, committed stand for one another's best selves, you know, encouraging each other to step up when it's time, to step back when it's time, to rest when it's time, to go hard when it's time. And uh, it's 
it's extraordinary. You know, we've now got um, we've now got nearly I don't know we must be close to two two hundred two hundred fifty certified coaches. Uh, we've got thirty odd certified trainers who are now taking our tools out as well. So it's um, it's grown faster than I could ever have conceived. And I think it's because just at that deep soul level, I've heard most clearly what my beingness was ready for. You know, it's just like, this yeah. is it. Just, I feel like one of many is actually like an entity separate to me. And my job is just to listen really carefully to what she wants and, and do it. If I keep doing that, we do great. <laughs> I, I love it. And I, I think for, for me, like, um, female leadership is, is such a, a needed thing to be keep training and giving more of and seeing more women stepping up and stepping into their power and uh, achieving so much more is more like hopefully getting closer to balancing the scales a bit more so that we can have that paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And I think in recent times, we've seen that it has been female leadership in the political world, perhaps that has been really stepping up above most of everything else we see in the world and as exceptional leadership, I'd say. There has been some really exceptional leadership through this global crisis, you know, that we've yeah. been we've been present to. It's been absolutely extraordinary. I mean, Jacinda Ardern is my pin-up woman of the type of leadership that we talk about. Yeah. And it's really interesting for me, John, because even three or four years ago, there weren't in the media visible examples of the type of leadership that we talk about. There were women in leadership, but most of the women who are very visible in leadership were still operating in the masculine paradigm do you know they were still operating from a very competitive and individualistic kind of approach to things whereas um jacinda and and indeed many of the um, many 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 of the leaders of uh, of nordic of the nordic states you know iceland and norway some exceptional examples of what we would call soft power leadership at play women who are not coming um, uh, from that place and a very com- collaborative, compassionate, strong, have gravitas and can make the big decisions and, frankly, are willing to step in and make the tough decisions, the unpopular decisions, which, uh, you know, which I know, which I know is more difficult when uh, when we're in that kind of profane masculine energy and, and for men and women alike you know it doesn't I think it is it's not a gender thing it's more of an energy thing if we're in our masculine energy when when it, or, or any one of us can be man or woman can be in masculine energy and we have that competitive streak where we need to win or at least avoid failing then you know it becomes this popularity contest or the or the how do we be the best or how do we do the whatever whereas if we can be in that feminine energy when it's actually much more about community and collaboration and connection, if we can make decisions of what's best for the greatest good and the great, you know, for the, for the whole and move away from this fiercely individualistic pursuit of rights that, um, that I think is, is happening in so many countries. Uh, I, I think that's actually one of the key things that's made, um, made the navigation through this, really difficult you know health political economic time you know is that is that ability to go this isn't going to be popular but this is actually what is required for the greatest safety and um you know and preservation of 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 society as much as we can you know yeah it's i mean it's my hope that that kind of leadership is going to steer us away from the more sort of authoritarian and aggressive styles that we generally tend to see uh, this whole definition of power being tied in with really what I would call sociopathic qualities is is something exactly. that needs to be broken. Exactly. <laughs> the system is broken, right? The system is, well, I've so seen some articles saying the system's not broken, it's working perfectly for the uh, power power players uh, involved. But I, I, I think what has happened, and we've seen it, we've seen the fracturing of it. We've seen uh, people calling it to account, yeah. um, you know, through so many of the different movements that have come out. I mean, it was starting to happen with the climate change movement and look at Greta at the, you know, we have a tiny little small child 
leading the charge on climate change. Do you know, I just think it's extraordinary. And that, I think, opened opened us up. Then we've obviously we've had coronavirus and we've seen amazing responses from New Zealand, Taiwan, Nordic states, Germany, all led by women. Um, not so great in countries that are led by our authoritarian, you know, um, um, blokes. Exactly. Um, well, I guess it all depends on what do you say is great, but I, I would say death toll, you know, that for me is pretty... <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. It's up there. <laughs> I, I, I tie this in really with something that I think I first encountered from from you and certainly from from Chris, you were working with at the time. The spiral dynamics is, is yes, like the, the values levels. Like this is a, a shift in values levels from I guess um, we're talking like level five values. I think that's it. I think I think a lot of nations are still very value, values level five oriented. You know, certainly the UK. Uh, UK still got a lot of four in it too, frankly, hasn't it? But um, yeah. the states is all about five. You know, Australia's uh, where I come from. There's a lot of five. There's some more six there. I think the problem that we see is that I'm not sure that many nations are going to be very happy to go through the values level six as a as a centre where it's all about you know, um, decision-making by consensus. That's never going to work for a country. But what we see, you're, you're dead right. I've been thinking, it's nice to have this chat with you because no one else I've been able to talk to about that. Um, but, yes, what we see, I think, with so many of these, uh, especially female leaders, is values level seven-style leadership. You know, it's 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 effective. It's systemic. It's um, it's uh, there's a great book actually. I don't know if you've read. Have you read Frederick Laloux's book, Reinventing Reorganize Reinventing Organizations? I haven't, but I like You would love it. You would love it. It's a great read on, he calls it teal, right? Same thing, values levels is what he's talking about, teal organisations. And I think that style of leadership is what we need right now. It's got enough of the embedded community and um, and holistic kind of approach, but it's still very focused on um, on systems that work and, and, and getting the right outcome um, and and allowing leadership beyond one's self, you know, like it could be um, uh, leadership for different, um, you know, whoever is the right person for the job can lead on that particular piece. And I think that's what we've seen. What's working really well at the moment right now is that kind of leadership. You're right. And, and that's the kind of values that that you're working on bringing more into into reality, into real life experience, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And you've, in fact, just helped me to realise exactly what we started off in the conversation, which is these things become embedded in us and are unconscious. But, yes, that's very much about what One of Many is about. We're supporting women to to be able to, I guess, have that um, inner values evolution, to be able to be effective, to step up and be the best leader at the front if that's right for them, to be able to hand over when it's necessary to hand over to be able to work with and through others for the greater good of all that's exactly what we're doing which is fantastic mm-hmm. i love that you're doing that i mean i i hope that the work that i do and certainly a lot of stuff in the podcast i do includes a lot of female empowerment because it's something that does matter to me but mm-hmm. i know that as a guy yeah, even as a gay guy it's like it's not really an area i can work in it really does need to be uh, women who are teaching that and leading the way for each other with that but certainly it can be my role to support that and to uh, to help progress that as well which I think I'm that's it we all need to, to be allies right I think yeah. that right now this is a time where those of us with um, those of us with more privilege need to ally with those with less you know whether that be around gender whether it be around race whether it be around sexuality you know whether it be any of these different kind of issues which are so fiercely coming to the fore at the moment as they should um it's the job of all of us i think to make uh each other's voices heard in the right you know in the correct way and that's why it's so beautiful to be able to chat about this stuff um with you john i think it's critical i I do think it's always important you know you have you have a very clear vision what would you like to see like in terms of maybe more like legacy what would you really like to see come from one of many do you know, I, I don't know, when I envisage the future, I'm, I'm out five or seven generations hence. You know, that's the vision I'm working towards. I don't know how much of it's going to happen in my lifetime and I'm okay with that. Um, for me, 
when I look at my vision there, I see parity in leadership. I see just as many women in just the same leadership roles as I see men. And everyone um, is, is working together. There's nobody doing, you know, 80 hour weeks anymore. It's a thing of the past where we're far more collaborative and recognizing, um, uh, you know, skill strength. So, so, so that it doesn't disclude having children and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, so I, I really do believe I was, I was on Necker Island last year um, with the Virgin Unite Foundation and Jean Earl Wang, who's the um, president of Virgin Unite, which is Branson's family foundation, um, uh, she gave a great presentation. She said, I think the time for silver bullet type thinking is long gone, uh, but there are certain silver levers that we can pull. And for me, I think striving towards parity in leadership politically, at an organizational level, at community level, and even just in the domestic level at home, right? If we can achieve partnership, partnership within couples and parity of representation across those spheres, I truly believe that that's the silver lever. Because you, if you open the doors in order to achieve parity, we have to change the systems because women are opting out at the moment because they think it's either the 80-hour week and no babies, right, or um, the 80-hour week and babies but my kids won't know me. And so they're like, well, fuck it. I'm not going to do it, right? Yeah. Um, sorry, I hope we can swear on this podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll put a warning in or something. And I've done pretty well to get this far in, actually. Without no, I, I highly encourage it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... So that's, for me, the vision that I have is, is, is parachute because all of the systemic changes we would need to have implemented in order for parity to be able to be there, that is what's going to make the world better. Not that it is, not that we achieve parity, but it's the things we would have had to have changed about how we relate to each other, about how things, about equity, you know, um, equity at home, equity in, in organisation, in, across politics, it would, for us to see the results of parity, so much would have had to have changed. And that's what I want to, uh, that's what I want to, I don't know, sow the seeds for, you know. I don't, and I think if one of many, we're right at the beginning of seeing the kind of female leaders that I think can help us there. And if one of many were a breeding ground for visible female leaders that will start to be those role models for the next generation so it becomes normalised that you can be a great mum and a very busy, visible leader. You can be a great mum and also do these other things or not be a mum, and that's okay too, you know, like just having the full menu on the, you know, being able to select from the whole menu as a woman and be able to make the impact that feels like it's called to in your heart. If that could be what we show to our next generation, um, if we if we can impact, uh, you know, I've, I've got a vision to equip a million women with these tools to be able to sustainably change their corner of the world. And that's kind of where my, where my first milestone is, I mean, to that end. Which is, which is a fantastic goal, and uh, I tr- truly admire everything you're doing here. I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Do, do you think recent times that with corona and all of this, which you, know, was, you shouldn't mention any podcast, but what the heck, um, <laughs> but do you think that maybe might be something that's exacerbated change and, and maybe made people realise oh, God, yeah. in this big wake-up, we've had this huge pattern interrupt into, into our life experience? Hugely. Absolutely. I think, I think this global pandemic has been, I I truly don't think we can even conceive of how society is going to look after this, right? I really don't think we can. I think this is a possibility point where, a bifurcation point where we can go to, you know, a, a new way of being or it's going to get way messier than it than it was. And and to be honest, I think the jury is still out on which way that's going to go. But yes, at a very individual level, we saw women in our community having powerful conversations with their partners for the very first time about partnership on the domestic stuff. You know, they've just been putting up with it. But when you're both at home, both homeschooling, both trying to work full time, uh, you can't ignore the fact that you're the one doing all the fucking laundry and everything else, you know. We've seen women having conversations with their bosses where oh, there was this one moment where um one of our one of our uh 
one of our members in our Lead the Change program, which is our year-long um, leadership program, uh, came to one of the calls and she was just like, I really should have said something, but I didn't. This is what just happened. She'd been on a call with her boss, who was a man, um, who had said to her, oh, well, you'll need to take this because unfortunately, uh, we'll call him James, your co-worker is uh, at home, you know, caring for the kids at the moment because of the pandemic, blah, 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 you know, working from home, multitasking with childcare. And um, our, our lead the change uh, woman in question at the time was like, oh, yeah, of course. And then she got off the call and went, what? Me too. Like I've got my kids here too. But just because I'm better at it because I've been doing it for 20 years, I didn't speak up. And so she was like, she went back and she spoke up and she said, this is not okay. This is the pointy end of the gender imbalance thing. It didn't even enter your consciousness that I've got kids at home just because I'm better at keeping them out of the space. He's hopeless at it because he's never had to do it before doesn't mean that it's okay for me to have to do more. Um, And so we've had lots of those conversations with bosses. We've had lots of Lots of women um, in very personal ways recognising the inequity around them and starting to champion themselves and champion that space. Yeah. Um, we actually put a, um, uh, the, the, um, equalities, um, the equalities office, the Women Equalities Office, um, uh, was looking for evidence on the unequal impact of COVID-19 on protected communities, of which gender is one, but race, you know, a whole bunch of different, um, different things. And we surveyed our entire community, got some incredible, information of what was actually going on at this time for women. Um, And there is absolutely no doubt that women have been hit harder, even though, you know, it's like, oh, men do worse with coronavirus. Okay, yeah, maybe you do. But everything else about it, the economic impact, the mental health impact, you know, the um, relationship, everything else has been just so stressful. Think about women at home who are now, who who had been suffering um, abuse at home, then got locked up with their abusers. You know, it was just messy. So I think it is, I think absolutely it's one of these moments and we've seen it in Black Lives Matters, we've seen it in Trans Lives Matter, you know, all of these sorts of movements coming out saying no more, you know, no more, this is not okay. Yeah. And I think, and we're economically, things are going to change dramatically, right, absolutely dramatically. I think we are still very much shielded from what is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I truly do believe that, it is in the way that we recreate from this um, and that we demand better from our leaders. You know, leadership is not just about being out there and being a visible leader. Leadership is also about demanding more from our politicians, demanding more from our places of employment, demanding more for what it is that we require right, right there in our home, in our, in our partnerships, you know. Um, and I think... I think, I hope, I truly, I I know the opportunity is there for this and I deeply, deeply hope that we can uh, equip and empower ourselves, all of us, men and women alike, to advocate for the better as we come out from this. One of the things that I think would be great to to touch on is really how how you go about doing that. And I talk about the, the vision is inspiring, but how then do people go about empowering themselves to actually step up as the the leaders in their life. You know, I know that you're focusing that specifically on women at the moment, but I know that's relevant to anyone who might be listening. Yeah. But to actually make yourself a, a person of influence, a person who's who's listened to. Mm. Oh, here's, I think, yeah, I'm going to answer this differently perhaps than I may have answered it before, but just what I'm most present to from our conversation at the moment. And that is that, I think there's a few key pieces. If you want to be a person of influence, if you want to be someone who's listened to, you've got to have something worth saying. And the only thing worth listening to is what moves your soul, you know. I think for so very many of us, we can get so tied up in the marketing of our business and the packaging of our messaging and the, um, you know, the creation of products and all of the rest of it. But the more I move in this space and the more extraordinary people I'm blessed to meet, you know, um, I've had incredible conversations with leaders, you know, um, leaders of countries, you know, um, uh, gang leaders, you know, ex-gang leaders, like extraordinary people that I've met over in the last few years especially. And it's not about, it's not about 
clever language patterns and, you know, how to package things and how to, it's who that person is, right? It's, it's how it, it is, who they are being and what's happened in their life that, that makes them that you can't not listen to them. Even if they're just talking about, you know, whether or not we should go sailing on the Hobie Cat or whether we should go do this thing, you just can't not listen to them. So what is it that has someone be that, have that gravitas, you know? And I think there's a few things that go into that. The first thing is self-awareness. There, I'm yet to meet a great, compelling uh, influential person who doesn't understand themselves, right? That doesn't have some, and they've all, you know, the ones I've spoken to have all got different practices of how to get to that self-awareness. Um, but that might be a journaling practice. It might be a meditation practice, but there is some way they know what they're great at. They know what they're not great at, but here's the most critical piece. They know what sets them on fire, because at some level, either through happenstance or uh, like something's happened to them, like a, a, a significant emotional event, if you like, or because they've made it their journey to discover it, they know why their soul chose to be on the planet at this time, right? They might not be able to answer it exactly that way, but the way they speak, they've just got that resonance, I suppose, about themselves in their whole being. You know, I'm thinking of uh, like last year, I had the great privilege to meet Juan Manuel Santos, who's a Nobel Peace Prize winner. He was the uh, president of Colombia at the time who negotiated the peace treaty with the FARC guerrillas. Yeah. It, it, what no matter what that man was saying, right? You are listening. It's not that he he was, he, you know, I was he was one of the guys on Necker Island, you know, so where he's hanging out in board shorts and um, yeah. and uh, or literally, um, literally just banging around, um, and equally the Prime Minister of, uh, uh, former Prime Minister of um, Bhutan. I also met there a uh, Carl Loco, L-O-K-K-O, highly worth um, following Carl on social media. He, former gang leader who uh, <laughs> totally transformed his life um, and started going into former gang territories, you know, with his hands up in the air saying, I'm sorry and I love you. Like, do you know, building these bridges across, you know, keep feuding gang territories, each one of these people. And um, Hala Thomas-Dota, who uh, ran for president of Iceland and um, uh, and ran the only financial institution in Iceland not to go bankrupt when the whole country did, for instance. Yeah. Um, these extraordinary people, when they speak, you listen. And why do you listen? You listen because they care deeply and passionately about what it is that sets them on fire. They know where their skills are and they know where they need to bring counsel, where they need to bring others. But I think at the core of it, it's this, you just can't stop. You just, they just deeply care about why they're here, whether they're clear about, whether they speak to that exactly or not. And I see that in the women inside of my community. I have a slightly different take on leadership than a lot of leadership training organizations out there in that I believe if you just strip away everything that is not the authentic self, authentic self hears soul's purpose mm. and you just start speaking it. Yes, you can go get some public, you know, public speaking training after the fact. Yes, you can shape your messaging better more. And do I, when I put together a presentation, follow all of my rules and, you know, all of that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely, I do. Um, but I think that's shaping. It's like, you know, it's shaping the rose bush. You know, the, the rose is beautiful. The rose is individual. It is unique. It would be beautiful if it was scraggly and all over the place. You couldn't ignore the beauty of the rose but you can take care of it and prune it and let go of the pieces that are not necessary for the exquisiteness, but the rose has got to be the rose. So I think if, 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 if you want to truly influence people, the journey is an inward one. It's like, who are you? Why are you here? And, and what are you being called to? Do you know? I mean, a lot of people talk about legacy and they talk about what do you want to leave? I don't, it's like, I'm, I, I kind of not even thinking really about what I'm going to leave. I'm just thinking about where do we need to go and what's my role in that? How do I be of service to where I see that we can go? 
And I think if we can, if you can fall in love, whatever is calling you forward and be of service to it deeply and passionately, holy moly, that's, that's the best thing about life, right? Why would you want to do anything else? Where there's passion, you will find a way. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. It's, it's always interesting. I always think about, uh, I tend to relate more to thinking about uh, maybe uh, artists like musicians and painters and performers, but um, it's it's really not like precision or um, specific uh, ability that makes people the best at what they do. It's always the passion that pulls in people. That's what people connect with. And and this, I think that's very much in alignment with what you're saying here is that passion and how important it is to find that. You find the way through. That's what will attract people. People won't care if your talk, if your talk is imperfect or uh, if you say things the wrong way around, if you have the passion there for what you're doing and for your message. And I think if you, if you know who you are as well, I think this is one, one of the most, you know, if, if there's only one thing that people take away from listening to this today, I hope that's it. <laughs> so, I think so. Really powerful. You know? I think so. And for me, it's, um, it's, it's, it's almost that sometimes I think passion gets bandied around as a word, you know, you've got to be passionate. But for me, it is a much deep, it's almost deeper than passion. It's like, a, and it's not something that you can, that's sort of at a surface level. It's something which is at that deep soul level. So for thinking passion, you know, and I used to talk about this, I think, you know, the passion of Christ, there's a, that deep religious kind of connotations to that aspect of it. It's that, it's it's what is your what yeah what has you really burn you know what has you really that drives you so much you, you couldn't you could no longer ignore it you 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 couldn't possibly ignore it without actually denying your whole soul and your whole self that it's that 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 depth and you know my advice to anyone would be don't stop until that it's that deep don't judge yourself if it isn't there yet that's okay you know it's it's a lifelong journey to discover it you know i mean i i had a great life when i was coaching and training I had a great life when i was teaching speaking you know but was i plugged into that depth of that you know uh soul expression at that time no of course i wasn't and i bet in another 10 years i'll look back at this and go oh god you kid you didn't know a thing you know but i think if you make that your mission to just keep learning that next level about yourself it'll it'll everything else pales into insignificance yeah now that kind of leads me to think about one of the issues that comes up so often with so many of my private coaching clients and even with my group coaching i'd say mm-hmm. that people are waiting to find that perfect thing before they even get started yeah. and it just doesn't work that way you know some people do some people just know what it is they know straight away what fires them up but most people i think don't and aren't even getting started or are thinking well what if i choose the wrong thing or what if what if it isn't but it, it may chances are like you say it's not going to be the right thing that will develop over time but if you don't get started that journey that evolution won't even happen absolutely i truly believe that one cannot discover one's life purpose or one's calling in inertia you just can't the only way that you can actually navigate and actually that makes me think i'd quite like to look up the etymology of that word but but you know if you want to navigate you have to be in motion you know you can't you can't um, I remember I used to use a um, I used to use an analogy of this. Like if you if your car is currently you know parallel parked between two cars facing in the wrong direction, in order to turn the car around and get going the way you want, you've got to go into reverse. Then you've got to go off at a forty five degree angle. Then you, it's a, you might have to do a whole lot of different things to get yourself pointed in the right direction. But until you start moving, you can't get pointed in the right direction. And I believe um, often uh, I, I, use the, uh, I use another analogy of what I call the indecision roundabout. It's like there's this uh, roundabout outside Oxford that I run into a lot and it's got so many exits. I get confused almost every time. But, you know, if you've got your, if you've got your sat-nav and it's all plugged in and it says, okay, you're going to take the third exit. So you're driving into the, you're driving into the roundabout. It's a big one. You can't see the whole way around. And then you come to an exit. Is that the second exit or is it the third exit? And so you skip it. Then your next one, oh, shit, it was, that was the one I was meant to leave on. So now you have to go around again, but you're still not quite sure. And if you are going around and around and around on a roundabout, you know how your sat-nav is always like two seconds behind, like it's recalculating two seconds behind? It's just the same way in life. If we are trying to work out whether something is more on purpose or less on purpose, if this is good for our business or bad for our business, 
it's like we're on a roundabout and our sat nav won't ever catch up. Like the, the feedback until you plan, if, until you do something, you don't get the feedback. You don't get the feedback from your clients. You don't get the feedback from your soul. You don't get the feedback from God or source or whatever you, you know, relate to in that path. Um, you don't get the feedback until you're in action. So to get off the roundabout, you just got to pick an exit, any freaking exit doesn't matter, but you get off the exit, then the satellites catch up and then you'll either hear, you know, take the next left or you'll hear turn around when possible, right? Like one or the other. Um, but it's not until you commit to something that you can get the feedback that tells you whether or not it was the right path. People get so attached to making the right decision. I don't think I've ever made the right decision, but I do believe, I truly believe that your success in business and possibly even in life is in direct proportion to the velocity with which you make decisions. Right. As, as our mutual friend Taki Moore says, don't aim for perfect, aim for done. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and that, that's much more workable. And I, I use that a lot with my clients as well. Too many people aiming for for getting it right rather than just doing it and then working on it from there. And that is the best way, get in process, get stuff happening. I want to come back around quickly before we start wrapping things up to something you mentioned earlier about like, burnout and overwhelm, particularly in recent times where, uh, and, and see, especially with, as you said, especially with women, there's been high increase in stress. I know many people are feeling that and, and still feeling that level of overwhelm and, and maybe even moving towards burnout. I know for me, I've been uh, with uh, quarantines and stuff here, just throwing myself into work is my way of sort of dealing with that. But yeah. also realizing that's not um, something I can do at that level for uh, forever. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, it's been great and I've made a lot of progress and it's been good. But even now, I sort of think, now it's sort of coming out of that and throwing myself into it and dealing with what's going on again in the world it's, it's kind of emotional sometimes. And, and I know a lot of people have even much more to deal with than I do. What advice would you give, especially for, for women who are, who are dealing with all these things at the moment and, and struggling to keep afloat with it? Do you know, this, this, is, this has been the most common question that I've had over the last, you know, well, I mean, it's, it's what launched our business was how to deal with overwhelm. We've got a great little resource called the Overwhelm First Aid Kit for exactly that point because this is the most critical thing that a lot of women um, uh, have to face. Having said that, in the last, you know, in this kind of period of quarantine and so on, it has reached overwhelming heights because we ha- not only are we juggling more tasks and more emotions than ever before and more decisions, like even just the decision of do I go to the supermarket today or do I try and stretch that out, bearing in mind the fact that that's another exposure. But we make 183,000 decisions before breakfast during quarantine, whereas in the past that executive functioning, we were just in our usual uh, routine. So if you add the amount of extra decisions we're making, to the amount of extra emotion we're all carrying around, recognising that emotion is contagious, fear is contagious, anger is contagious, we feel it from each other and emotions have been high, and then add that to the multitasking that has been required by so many, especially parents, and not this is not mums exclusively, parents, um, men and women, um, it's been absolutely burdensome and incredibly difficult. So, uh, so I've, there's, there's a, few, a few ways to approach it. Critically, you have to work some time into your day for what I call spaciousness. And what you do in that time is completely up to you. But something, something that gets you connected. So personally, I've got a journaling habit. Um, I've been doing it now since I was 18 years old. Uh, I first learned about it in the artist's way. It's called Morning Pages. I write three pages every single day. Uh, during lockdown, I wasn't. It got worse. When I started again, surprise, surprise, things got better. My other critical habit is um, uh, for calming the daily chaos is a walk in nature. I'm blessed to live in the Cotswolds where I can get out and walk in the fields and uh, and I can get out and harness my five women's power types as we talk about here at One of Many uh, during that. So get that, getting that spaciousness in and prioritising 
um, prioritizing self-care. Now, not, I'm not talking about doing your freaking nails. I'm talking about at the, at the kind of self-care that we have needed, the radical self-care that we've needed in this last period of time has been things like a lot of emotional, what I call emotional hygiene. You know, we get full up with fear or we get full up with anger or full up with hurt because, you know, whatever's been going on at home, we've got to get that out of our bodies. You know, we have to learn to process emotion and get it out. And that's been the kind of self-care that I've been advocating so much for the women in our community during this period of time. So it's having a habit that gets you that spaciousness and some way of dealing with the emotional um, build-up that is happening at a much faster pace than perhaps it was six months ago. Yeah. Are these things that tie in with your seven rituals to come from? Yeah, Netflix? yes, so indeed. Because you very kindly have offered that as a free resource for our listeners and watchers. So we'll have that in the show notes for everyone. And uh, and, and thank you for that. It's, it's amazing how the conversation actually naturally brought us to that as well. <laughs> uh, so there are so many things that I, I, I was hoping to, to get to talk to you about today, but I, I, I can't complain. The conversation has been absolutely fantastic. I didn't go where I've expected, but it's been inspirational and amazing. Uh, and so I really want to, to thank you for that. I know you, you've provided through your, through your PA, provided some of the ways for people to get in touch with you. But if someone's listening and wants to say, I want to check out this person right now, what's the, the best place for them to come and find out more about you? Yeah, if they would, uh, so there's a couple of websites you can check out. If it's more about me, um, joannamartin.com has got info about me and how to work with me one-on-one if you want consulting or that kind of uh, that kind of stuff. I, I still do a bit of consulting one-on-one. Uh, but predominantly the work that I do is one of many. So that's at oneofmany.co.uk. And uh, right there, there's loads of amazing free resources. Perhaps you're interested in becoming a coach for women or a trainer for women specifically and interested in the methodologies and the tools that we share. You can find lots of information on our website there about how to get involved in that. But it would be a joy to meet anyone from your community, John. I feel like we go way back and I'm sure that they would be fabulous to be able to work in partnership with. Well, I, I certainly hope so, and, and I hope that many people will come and come and check that out. And I know that um, I love following you on social media. You're pretty active on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, you're a great person to follow there as well. And I, you were talking about Island. I'm thinking, yeah, I can remember seeing the stuff you were posting whilst you were there, and yeah. it was all, all really cool. And one thing, uh, one thing I do always like to get to with my guests, and you've already given me, well, you've given me a personal book recommendation, which I love and really appreciate. But we did talk about a book that you would generally recommend to everybody to check out yeah do you know i i i think that oh my god and when you asked me there were just so many competing things jumping into my head all at the same time um and and that led me to think you know what the thing that has seen me through quarantine is just good novel after good novel after good novel now i know that sounds ridiculous and it sounds like a cop-out but here's what i mean One of the reasons so many people were not coping with quarantine was because they ended up going to bed too late. And the most seductive thing to get you to bed, other than the sexiest partner imaginable, is a damn good read. We reach that time when we get so, um, so het up in reading you know, nonfiction or, you know, good books and a whole bunch of different things. And I was going to talk about Chip and Dan Heath and a whole, there's so many great books. But if I look back at at the books that have held me, held my head above water over the last six months, it's been having a lovely, amazing, compelling story that seduces me to beds to read for those 10 minutes before I go to sleep. So my book recommendation is go buy yourself a fucking good novel. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I've been uh, listening. To, I like audio books and I've been listening to um, The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. And that's been oh, yeah. phenomenal. And and the, the fact that the different actresses are reading it and like um, Anne Dowd, who plays um, Aunt Lydia in the TV show, who, who I just worship. She's she's reading it as well. And I, I could listen to her forever uh so yeah i i I agree it's like having these things i really look forward to it i've always been a big non-fiction reader but i absolutely love getting myself into a bit of fiction and Mm. being in that world in my head for a while that uh uh, just takes me away and puts different perspectives on and yeah i love it i'm i've i've been reading um i've been reading a lot of fantasy uh, fiction uh, by black writers recently. I just recently read um, the book of Phoenix. I'm reading a book called The Fifth Season at the moment. And it's wonderful. I think in the light of the Black Lives Matter campaign, where I'm kind of taking it upon myself to get myself educated around anti-racism and so forth. For me, 
being able to see things through fiction, through, you know, through a different set of eyes is another um, uh, really, really compelling and stimulating uh, approach for me because there's only so much, you know, that we can take in at any one time in, in, in our, all of our nonfiction reading. But for me it feels it's the genre that I love, absolutely uh, love kind of fantasy stuff and historical fiction, weirdly enough. So either, either <laughs> it's just going to mash up in my head. But, well, yeah, there's some beautiful yeah. books. Absolutely. Uh, I know we need to, to wrap things up and you've got many other things to do, but there are so many other things I wanted to talk about, uh, but I knew it was going to be an amazing show. I hope maybe sometime in the future we can give it another go and we can get to some of the stuff around more speaking and stories and things like that and another time maybe. Absolutely. But, uh, but for now, are there? and you shared so many amazing things. It's been really an inspirational call and I've loved every minute of it. But is there a, a just a closing message or a sum up that you'd like to leave everyone with? Oh, I think I'd just say, look, look after yourself. Do you know? I think most of us have had a tough time of that recently. We've tended to put everybody else's needs ahead of our own. We've worried what everybody else is thinking about all of our choices. It's a really critical time to come back to centre, ask yourself what's important to you and are you giving yourself the time that you need to be able to sustainably show up and build your business or make your impact or do whatever it is that you're doing in the world. Take care of yourself. Fantastic. Joe, thank you so much for today. It's been really wonderful. I know that as well, keep following you and keep checking out all the amazing things that you're doing online. You are a wonderful person to be connected with and still uh, a massive inspiration to, to me personally and to many, many other people as well. So thank you. Thank you, John. It's been a real pleasure chatting. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to like and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes of the show, like our next episode with LinkedIn content marketing expert, Angela Duns. I had a lot of fun chatting to Angela. She was delightful and she knows her stuff when it comes to LinkedIn. So if you have any kind of presence on LinkedIn, if you want to know how to use that really well as a marketing tool, you will want to make sure that you tune in for that conversation. Do keep an eye out for the humor and presentation series that I'm doing as well, calling it Leading with Laughter. A few of those episodes are already out. They're available in the back catalog. You can find them in the playlist for this channel. And do also take a look at some of the other episodes in there as well. If you haven't tuned into the channel before, there's a lot of great content having been previously released. If you'd like to know more about the show or get in touch with me, please email me, john at presentinfluence.com. If you think you'd be a great guest or you want to invite me to be a guest on your show or speak at your event, anything like that, I'd love to hear from you. See you next time.